Now, as you're able, would you please remain standing for the reading of the word, which today will be done by one of our middle school students, Cooper Vaughn. Jonah, chapter two. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and he listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. What a way to end a passage, right? Well, good morning. My name is Ryan. For those of you that I may not know, it is good to be with you here today as we dive into God's word. But before that, I do want to remind you that we have our church health assessment. Uh, we have a survey that is happening right now. So we have hired a company called Vital Church Ministry, and they've put together this assessment, and they're going to be doing a few other things to help us kind of just figure out where we're at as a church. But I do want to say that we are only about a third of the way there in terms of total people who have done the survey from, what we, from where we want to get. Just based on our numbers at services, we have a number that we want to hit, and we're about a third of the way there. So if you have not done it, please do that this week. You can find it at cccnow.com. So you can do that this week. It should be on the email and you can scan the QR code so that if you get really bored during the message, you can just do it right now as I'm speaking. But I will say this as well, that about 75% of the people who have responded so far are women. So ladies, good job. Yes, men, do better. Also, if you are in the age range of 18 to 50, you need to step up as well because 70% of our respondents have been over the age of 50. So we want to get a wide variety of our church. Yes, good job. Uh, a wide variety of our church and we wanna hear from all different voices. And so please, please, please take the survey. If, uh, you know, wise, if you've done it, you just get your husband to do it as well. Um, but we wanna hear from you. And again, we want a clear picture of what the health is of Christ Community Church because we wanna figure out where we are so we can know where we need to go from here. Now, Jonah needed to go to Nineveh, but instead went to Tarshish. Yes, I've been working on that transition for weeks and it's great. <laughs> but he needed to go to Nineveh. He headed towards Tarshish and God said, no, I don't think so. So God gave him all these clear signs that, hey, I'm trying to get your attention and turn you back on the right path. So Jonah encountered a storm. Jonah still ignored it. Jonah encountered some sailors. He ignored them. Finally, Jonah is thrown overboard and a giant fish comes and swallows him. And now he, God has his attention. And so Jonah chapter two is really this prayer from inside the belly of the fish 
from Jonah crying out to God and saying, all right, I'm submitting myself to you. What we're gonna see in this prayer is we're actually going to see a, a gospel message that Jonah prays out. We're gonna see that Jonah begins to understand God's role in salvation and understand where salvation comes from. And hopefully as we do this, we'll do two things. One, for us in the room, we can just receive that and be reminded of that great, incredible truth that God is the one who saves, that he does this incredible work in our lives, that he offers us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. But also as we do this, hopefully, as we've been talking about evangelism and sharing our faith, this will give us some tools for how to share the gospel message. Because the reality is that sometimes we overcomplicate the gospel. We make it about all these different things or we think we have to have all these answers or all this knowledge that just does not need to be present when really what we need to do is just to recognize who God is, what he has done and share the good news. And so hopefully this will give us some tools for our own life, but also to share the gospel message. And so with that being in mind, let's dive in. Jonah chapter two, verse one. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. Jonah through this prayer is going to recognize a few things. And the first thing that we see Jonah recognizing is that Jonah recognized God's presence with him. Jonah recognized God's presence with him in the deepest, darkest place of his life. This is not really a high moment for Jonah. And just think about this moment. Jonah's given a call from God. Go to Nineveh and preach. He says, I don't wanna do that. He turns and runs away. And he thinks, I assume, that he'll get away from God. But instead he encounters a storm and he encounters some sailors who are trying to get his attention and he ends up being thrown overboard. And I don't know if he was fighting against the waves, if he was fighting to keep his head above the waters or if he just resigned himself to death, but he was sinking sinking to the bottom of the sea, to the depths, knowing his life was ending. His life was going to end in disobedience to God. And then out of nowhere, he sees this dark figure, this shadow that approaches him and a giant fish swallows him. And so now all of a sudden he has this new life, sort of, but it's life in the belly of a fish. There's no one around. There's nothing to do. There's no hope of life after this. So now his life has been extended just to have a more miserable death. That's what he's living in. That's what he's encountering right now. And in this dark place, it would be easy to think that God is distant, that God is far off. In the lowest places of the earth, where is God in this moment? But Jonah cries out and it says, he prayed to the Lord as God and he said, I called to the Lord and he answered me. I called for help and you, God, listened to my cry. Jonah recognized God's presence with him. He's acknowledging that God is omnipresent, that he's at all places at all times. And that even in our darkest moments, even in our brokenness, maybe especially in our brokenness, in these lowest of places, God is there. Now we may not understand what God is doing in the midst of our difficult circumstances. We may not understand how he's moving in our suffering, but acknowledging that he is present is a comfort and a powerful thing. 
And Jonah isn't simply acknowledging God's presence. Jonah is acknowledging God's presence. And what I mean by that is that Jonah is recognizing who God is and who he is. Jonah is recognizing that God can be present even in the belly of a fish, in the bottom of the sea, in the lowest of moments. He's acknowledging that God has power and authority. Throughout this prayer, we're gonna see that Jonah is turning his heart back to God and he's beginning to submit himself to God because he's realizing, I was never meant to be in charge. God was. He's starting to acknowledge that his ways may not be as good as God's ways. He's starting to recognize and acknowledge that maybe my plan of running from God was kind of foolish, that I can't run from God, that his love is pursuing me, his goodness is pursuing me, his mercy is pursuing me, his presence is pursuing me. And Jonah is recognizing God's presence with him. He's seen his goodness. And really he's seeing some other things here as well. And so we continue down to verse three. It says this, you hurled me into the depths, but the very, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now Jonah in, in verse three there especially, he really is acknowledging God's sovereignty in what is happening. He's saying that this is happening because of God. But I want us to be clear that this is not a blame game. It would be easy for Jonah to go and blame God, to go and be upset with God. It would be easy for Jonah to ignore his own stuff and just to say, this is all God's fault. I'm sitting in the belly of a fish for three days. God, are you kidding me? Think about all the good things I've done in my life. Jonah's a prophet. Surely there were a few good moments in there. He's probably been to church a few times. Maybe he's given his tithe check. He's shared God's word with people. And he's thinking, this is my reward. I shouldn't be the one who is punished. Nineveh should be the ones who are punished. But that's not where Jonah's heart is going. He's acknowledging that God is in control, but he's also acknowledging his need for God. Jonah recognized his need for God. This is what's happening here. He's saying that this is because of my sin, that I acted foolishly. I tried to run from God, I did the wrong thing. And because of that, in God's sovereign power, he orchestrated things to get me back on the right path. But my plan was leading me to death and God had a different plan for me. I need God in this moment. He is recognizing, he is acknowledging his need for God. And he actually says at the end of verse four, he says, yeah, well, look again toward your holy temple. And he talks about the temple in verse seven as well. In verse seven, he says, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. It's kind of an interesting moment being in the belly of a fish, needing God's help and saying, I'm gonna to turn toward your temple. Why are you turning towards the temple? Well, the answer is found in 2 Chronicles chapter six. In 2 Chronicles chapter six, Solomon has finished building the temple and he is dedicating the temple to God. And the temple is supposed to be the place that is going to house God's presence. It's gonna be the place of worship for God's people. It's going to be a place where they come and make their sacrifices for their sins and different things like that. And so Solomon prays this prayer to God 
asking God to do a great thing with the temple. And here's what he says, starting in verse 36. He says, when they, your people, God's people, when they sin against you, for there's no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near. And if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they were taken and pray toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and toward the temple I've built for your name, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. First of all, that is just the longest sentence that's ever been written in the history of man. But secondly, what's happening here is that Solomon is praying to God and saying, God, we're gonna mess up. We're gonna make some mistakes. We're gonna sin. No one is perfect. Everyone has sinned. Everyone falls short of the glory of God. We know as your people that we are going to sin. We've done it before and we surely will do it again. And he says, when we sin, you will justly punish the sin. And so I recognize that there might be a time where you allow us to fall into the hands of our enemies. And we might be taken away to a different location, to a different place. And in those moments, we might feel very far from you. But he's saying, God, in that moment, even if we're in a distant land, even if we're far off, if we turn our hearts towards you, we turn our eyes towards you. And he says, if we turn towards the temple, this place that is the physical representation of sacrifice of worship, if we turn back towards this place, would you hear our prayers and restore us into relationship with you? Would you bring us back? Would you do for us what we can't do for ourselves? Here's what God says in chapter seven, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I'll forgive their sin and will heal their land. Solomon prays this relatively bold prayer maybe. Saying, God, when we mess up and you've allowed us to justly fall into the hands of our enemies, if we repent and we turn back towards you, would you forgive us? And God says, of course I will. Because the reality that Jonah, I think, is beginning to understand and that is there in Chronicles and that we need to understand as well is that God's love, his grace, his mercy is pursuing us always. And so when we have turned away from God's plan, it's not that he becomes more and more distant. He continues to pursue us and is waiting for that moment where we turn our hearts back towards him and repent of our sins and receive the gift of salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. There's a story in Luke chapter 15, actually. We read one of the three stories in Luke 15 last week. And if you were in a Jonah small group this week or did the Jonah study, you would have read the rest of Luke 15. You know, there's three stories in there. And the first is about the shepherd and his missing sheep. And the second is similar. It's about a woman who loses a coin. And in both of those, it's the, the owner who goes after the one that is missing. And they bring them back and receive them with great joy. 
And so we know that that's really God's heart and that's really what he's doing, that we need God to step into our midst to step into our brokenness and step into our sinful hearts to remove the blinders from our eyes so that we can see him. But I love the, the third story that he tells, which is very familiar to many Christians or non-Christians alike. It's the story of the prodigal son. And this talks about really our heart transformation. And, and so here's what happens is the son goes to the father and says, give me my share of the inheritance. And he takes all that is his and he heads off for a distant place. And he does what most young people would do in that situation. He goes and he spends it all having a good time. And he enjoys life until all the money is gone. And a famine hits the land, he is left with nothing. His situation actually becomes so desperate, so needy, that it says that he longed to feed himself with what the pigs were eating. If you are feeling jealous of pigs, you have messed up somewhere in life. And so he realizes, I need to turn back and do something different. And suddenly he comes to this knowledge of, you know what, in my father's household, there are servants who have enough to eat. No one goes hungry there. And so he decides to turn back towards his father and just to beg his father to come back and receive him as a servant, not as a son, as a servant. And the story goes that when he was approaching the father, the father saw him from a long distance off. And before he could get the words out of his mouth, his father came running to him with open arms. And when he got to him, he wrapped him in a warm embrace. And he put new clothes on him and he threw a celebration for him because he said, my son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. God's love is running towards us. And when we repent and turn away from our sin, turn away from the things of this world, turn away from our own ways and turn towards God, we find a father who is running after us with open arms waiting to welcome us back into relationship with him. How good is our God? How wonderful is he? Jonah recognized his need for God, his need to turn back towards God. And he kind of strengthens this point in the next few verses. It says in verse five, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. He has come to the end of himself. There's no hope for my life any longer. And then he says this, but you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Jonah gets to the end of himself and he sees his life is fading away. He sees the end is coming. And he's acknowledging in this prayer that yes, this is because of my sin. This is my responsibility. This is what I did to myself. He acknowledges I was fading to the depths and there was nothing that could save me. And then he says, but you Lord, picked me up out of the pit. The exact words in verse six are this, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. In this moment, Jonah is recognizing another important thing. Jonah recognized God's grace. He recognized God's grace. He's looking and saying, I'm sinking and my actions have led to my death. This is the path that I've put myself on. But you, Lord, stepped in and offered me something I didn't deserve, something I couldn't earn. But God freely gave it to us because of his great love for us, his grace, his mercy, 
He rescued Jonah. And because of his great grace and mercy, his love for us, he will rescue us if we turn and put our trust in Jesus. He made a path for us to receive life as well. And this language that's here in Jonah 2, 6 is actually seen all throughout scripture. There's all these places where the Bible acknowledges that, that man on their own cannot do the things that God can do, but God does them for us. And so it looks at these places and says, man is weak, but God is strong. Man is broken, but God can heal. Man has sinned, but God can forgive. Man is far from God, but God pursues them. Let me actually read a few of these verses. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God can take what man intended for evil and turn it towards good. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. This is what we owe but God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Only he is sufficient to pay the price for our sin and offer us life in exchange. In Psalm 73, verse 26, it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He's saying when we are weak, God is our strength. When things seem hopeless, God is our hope. When we're in chaos, God is our peace. When the impossible is happening, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26 says this, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And there's no greater sign of this than our own salvation, than the grace that we have received from the fact that we get to enter into life with God. Our sin has separated us from God. We are deserving of wrath, but God offered his son to extend grace and mercy to us. This is how it says it in Ephesians chapter two, verses three through five. This is in the English standard version. It says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature, listen to this, this is who we were, nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's what we deserve because of our sin. And look at the next words. But God, being rich in mercy, oh, forgot the other part, sorry. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Yeah, we can clap for that one. Let's, let's celebrate that. What a joy, what an amazing celebration that is. What good news that is. That all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death, but God stepped in and extended mercy to us. It is his grace that saved us from the wrath that we deserved. But God is so loving. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you have experienced. God's love is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. His mercy is sufficient. And Jonah is acknowledging, I see where my sin led me and I know what I deserve, but God stepped in and did something miraculous, did the impossible, extended grace and mercy and rescued me from the depths. And when we have experienced God's grace, we realize that the things we've been pursuing, the things we've been running, the things of this world just aren't worth our time any longer. In chapter two, verse eight, Jonah says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. 
it tells us that there are things in this world that we can pursue. Jonah was pursuing his own comfort. He was pursuing his own pride. He, he was more focused on his own nationality. God, those are not my people. Someone else can take care of them. He was focused on his own hatred. God, I don't like those people. His own sense of morality and his moral uprightness. And as Jonah was pursuing those things, God's love was pursuing him. And he's saying, when I was pursuing these idols, the things of this world, I, I had my back turned to God's love. I was crazy enough, I was running away from God's love, from the love of our heavenly father. The creator of the universe loves us. And when we pursue the things of this world, we are turning our back on that love and running away from him. And scripture is telling us, stop running towards comfort and pleasure and power and money and fame and, and, and the relationships. Like just stop pursuing the things of this world and trying to let them be your God and turn and receive the love of God. And Jonah says this in verse nine, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah begins to celebrate and acknowledge God's goodness and his mercy. And he says, God, I'm just gonna spend my life celebrating you, worshiping you, giving you praise, giving you glory. But the ending statement there is important too. He says, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah is acknowledging that he will do the things that God has been asking him to do that he's been running from. I will proclaim the word of God. I'm gonna lift up the name of Jesus. This is what we are called to do. And Jonah finally saying, I'm gonna make it all about you, God. I'm gonna say salvation comes from the Lord and I'm willing to speak that to whoever you put in my path. Now, Jonah still is not happy about it. We'll see that in chapter four. But he's willing to submit to God's plan. He's willing to acknowledge that God is king. And if this is what you ask me to do, I'm definitely gonna go and do what you've called me to do because you are worthy of my praise. You are worthy of my worship. You are worthy of my obedience. And when he gets to that point, it tells us in verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What a disgusting moment that must have been. <laughs> and yet think of how good Jonah must have been feeling. Now I'm gonna imagine that those around him were not feeling quite as good as he was about this. But think about how Jonah would have responded to this moment. He would have run around dancing and praising and shouting God's praise to anyone who would listen. He's running around acknowledging that salvation comes from the Lord. He's willing to tell anyone who comes across his path, even the Ninevites, and we'll see next week at the beginning of chapter three, that he's given the same call that he was given in Jonah chapter one, verses one and two. It's almost word for word language that the call came again to Jonah, go and preach to the Ninevites. And this time he's willing to go. He's still not happy about it, but we'll work on that piece of the heart later. But he's willing to submit because he recognized what God had done for him. See, God gave Jonah life and purpose. God has given Jonah life and purpose. This is what he received from God. He received his life. As he sunk to the depths, he thought this is the end. As he sat in the belly of the fish, he thought this is the end. But God was gracious and offered him new life. When he turned from his sin and turned towards God and said, I'm gonna make it all about you. 
and I'm receiving your gift. It's what you have done. He was given physical life, but I think also a new spiritual life as well. But he was also given a purpose to go and proclaim that salvation comes from the Lord. A new call that's the same call that he had before. God's saying, Jonah, my plan is good. It's hard, it's challenging, it's difficult, but it's good. And so I wanna restore you into the purpose that I had for you, the plan that I had for you. Because the plan that God has for us leads to life and life to the full. That doesn't mean it's easy, but it means it's worth it. And so we as God's people, I hope and pray that we live our lives the same way as Jonah does here at the end of chapter two. To acknowledge what God has done for us and to proclaim with our mouths that salvation comes from the Lord. To declare to anyone who will listen that God so loved the world, that God so loved me, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I can rejoice and many of you can rejoice in knowing that we have eternal life because God loved us enough to give his son as a sacrifice and a gift for us. And when we put our trust in him, our sins are forgiven, our debt is paid, and we have new life, life to the full, life eternally to look forward to. And so let's be a people who rejoice in that and who share that good news. See, sometimes when we talk about evangelism, we overcomplicate it. We think we have to know all these Bible verses. We have to know all these key facts and figures. We have to have all this knowledge. And what we're really trying to do is we're trying to share religion. Maybe we're trying to share church. We're trying to share certain pieces of the law. What we're supposed to do is share Jesus. Share the good news, the hope of the gospel. We know it, we've received it. Let's go and share it. We love sharing good news. And there's many pieces of our life that are easy to go and share with people. Why isn't the gospel one of them? Because we overcomplicate it. And so this week, my encouragement for us as a church is to just think in simple terms. Can we go and acknowledge to someone else? Hey, let me tell you, I was at church on Sunday and I was just thinking about how good God is, how he rescued me from my sin, from my brokenness and offered me salvation through Jesus Christ. Can you believe that there's a God who would do that for me? It's not pushing anything on anyone. It's just sharing the good news. And some people will respond negatively. Some people will push back. Some people will ask questions that maybe we're not ready to answer. But we can just turn and say, listen, I, I don't necessarily have all the answers and, and I'm sorry if you're offended. I just wanna share what's going on in my life and hope that you can rejoice with me and what God is doing in my heart. And that might ease some of the tension and allow us a voice to speak into the life of others. Let's be the people who share the good news. So I wanna wrap up with this. Some of you in this room have never received that good news for yourself. Maybe you're here for the first time or maybe you've been coming to church for a long time, but it's just been rules and religion and this is just what you do. God is pursuing you. He loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you so that your sins could be forgiven and you could have life with him. And God wants you to receive him and trust him as Lord, to confess him as Lord of your life and follow after him. And it's not always gonna be easy, but man, is it gonna be worth it? And so if that's you today and God is pulling at your heart and you want to give your life to Christ, we're gonna say a really simple prayer that just puts words to what God is doing in your heart. 
But the Bible is clear that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And so we're gonna say this prayer together and if this is you and you're saying, hey, I'm gonna do this for the very first time, we believe this is the best decision you will ever make. And I wanna encourage you, if you're gonna make this decision for the very first time, to share that with someone around you. If there's no one around you that you can share it with, come and see our prayer team after service and they would love to celebrate with you and pray with you as you step into this new journey of faith. And so would all of you join me standing and we're gonna say this prayer together. This is not because we need to constantly re-accept Christ, but just supporting our brothers and sisters, our brand new brothers and sisters who maybe are doing this for the very first time. And also just acknowledging that this is who Christ is and what he's done for us. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I realize that I need you in my life and I'm sorry for my sins. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. As much as I know how, with your help through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, I want to follow you from now on. Please come into my life and make me a new person inside. I accept your gift of salvation. Help me to grow as a Christian, to become a fully committed follower of you, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have pursued us, that you care deeply about us. We thank you for sharing the hope of the gospel through your word and revealing it to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so God, I pray that our trust would be in you and that we as your followers, as your people, your sons and daughters, that we'd be a people who proclaim that hope for others. God, give us boldness and courage to share even when we don't feel like it. God, when we're scared, be our strength, be our confidence. God, when we are weak, be our strength. But God, let us be a people who live as your witnesses, who live to make fully committed followers of you, to make disciples. And God, when we do our part in sharing the good news and sharing your word and sharing the gospel message, would you do the things that only you can do? Open up hearts. Open up the hearts of those we are talking to, our friends, our family, our loved ones, our neighbors, even our enemies, so that they can see you and receive your gift and enter into your kingdom through your son, Jesus Christ, as well. God, continue to build your church and thank you for using us to be a part of it. We love you, Father, and praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.